Volume Two, Chapter Three, Part Two of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Dawn. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume Two, Chapter Three, A Masquerade, Part Two. Mr. Arnott, extremely disconcerted, began a serious expostulation upon the ill-breeding of this behaviour, but the devil, resting all excuse upon supporting his character, only answered by growling. The white domino seemed to hesitate for a moment in what manner to conduct himself, and with a quickness that marked his chagrin, said to Cecilia, "'You told me you knew him. Has he any right to follow you?' "'If he thinks he has,' answered she, a little alarmed by his question, "'this is no time to dispute it and then, to avoid any hazard of altercation, she discreetly forbore making further complaints, preferring any persecution to seriously remonstrating with a man of so much insolence as the baronet. The schoolmaster, laughing at the whole transaction, only said, "'And pray, madam, after playing the devil with all mankind, what right have you to complain that one man plays the devil with you?' "'We shall at least fortify you,' said the white domino, from any other assailant. No three-headed Cerberus could protect you more effectually, but you will not therefore fancy yourself in the lower regions, for, if I mistake not, the torment of three guardians is nothing new to you. "'And how?' said Cecilia, surprised. "'Should you know of my three guardians? I hope I am not quite encompassed with evil spirits.' "'No,' answered he. "'You will find me as inoffensive as the hue of the domino I wear. And what I could add is insensible.' "'This black gentleman,' said the schoolmaster, who, and very innocently I was going to call your blackguard, has as noble and fiend-like a disposition as I remember to have seen, for without even attempting to take any diversion himself, he seems gratified to his heart's content in excluding from it the lady he serves. He does me an honour I could well dispense with, said Cecilia, but I hope he has some secret satisfaction in his situation, which pays him for its apparent inconvenience." Here the black gentleman half raised himself, and attempted to take her hand. She started, and with much displeasure drew it back. He then growled, and again sank, prostrate. "'This is a fiend,' said the schoolmaster, "'who to himself saith, Budge not, let his conscience never so often say budge. Well, fair lady, your fortifications, however, may now be deemed impregnable, since I, with a flourish of my rod, can keep off the young by recollection of the past, and since the fiend, with a jut of his foot, may keep off the old from dread of the future. Here a Turk, richly habited, and resplendent with jewels, stalked towards Cecilia, and having regarded her some time, called out, "'I have been looking hard about me the whole evening, and faith I have seen nothing handsome before.' The moment he opened his mouth, his voice, to her utter astonishment, betrayed Sir Robert Floyer. "'Mercy on me!' cried she aloud, and pointing to the fiend. "'Who, then, can this possibly be?' "'Do you not know?' cried the white domino. "'I thought I had known with certainty,' answered she. "'But I now find I was mistaken.' "'He is a happy man,' said the schoolmaster, sarcastically looking at the Turk, "'who has removed your suspicions only by appearing in another character.' "'Why, what the deuce, then?' exclaimed the Turk. "'Have you taken that black dog there for me?' 
Before this question could be answered, an offensive smell of soot making everybody look around the room, the chimney-sweeper already mentioned by Miss Larolles was perceived to enter it. Every way he moved a passage was cleared for him, as the company with general disgust retreated wherever he advanced. He was short, and seemed somewhat incommoded by his dress. He held his soot-bag over one arm, and his shovel under the other. As soon as he espied Cecilia, whose situation was such as to prevent her eluding him, he hooted aloud, and came stumping up to her. "'Ah-ha!' he cried. "'Found at last!' Then, throwing down his shovel, he opened the mouth of his bag, and pointing waggishly to her head, said, "'Come, shall I pop you? A good place for naughty girls in, I say. Poke in. Cram you up the chimney.' And then he put forth his sooty hands to reach her cap. Cecilia, though she instantly knew the dialect of her guardian, Mr. Briggs, was not therefore the more willing to be so handled, and started back to save herself from his touch. The white domino also came forward, and spread out his arms as a defence to her, while the devil, who was still before her, again began to growl. "'Ah, ah!' cried the chimney-sweeper, laughing. "'So, did not know me? Poor duck! Won't hurt you! Don't be frightened! Nothing but old guardian! All a joke!' And then, patting her cheek with his dirty hand, and nodding at her with much kindness, "'Pretty dove,' he added, "'be of good heart, shan't be meddled with. Come to see after you, heard of your tricks. Thought I'd catch you, come a-purpose.' Poor duck did not know me. Ha, ha, good joke enough. "'What do you mean, you dirty dog?' cried the Turk. "'By touching that lady.' "'Won't tell,' answered he. "'Not your business. Got a good right. Who cares for pearls? Nothing but French beads.' Pointing with a sneer to his turban. Then, again addressing Cecilia, "'Fine doings,' he continued. "'Here's a place. Never saw the like before. Turn a man's noddle. All goings out. No comings in.' Wax candles in every room, servants as thick as mushrooms, and where's the cash? Who's to pay the piper? Come to more than a guinea, warrant Master Harold thinks that nothing. A guinea? contemptuously repeated the Turk. And what do you suppose a guinea will do? What? Why, keep a whole family, handsome a week. Never spend so much myself, no, nor half neither. Why, then, how the devil do you live? Do you beg? Beg? Who should I beg of? You? Got anything to give? Are warm? Take the trouble to speak more respectfully, sir, said the Turk haughtily. I see you are some low fellow, and I shall not put up with your impudence. Shall, shall, I say, answered the chimney-sweeper sturdily. Harky, my duck, chucking Cecilia under the chin. Don't be cajoled. Nick that spark. Never mind gold trappings. None of his own. All a-taken. Hired for eighteen pence, not worth a groat. Never set your heart on a fine outside, nothing within. Bristol stones won't buy stock, only wants to chouse you. What do you mean by that, you little old scrub? cried the imperious Turk. Would you provoke me to soil my fingers by pulling that beastly snub nose? For Mr. Briggs had saved himself any actual mask by merely blacking his face with soot. "'Beastly snub nose!' sputtered out the chimney-sweeper in much wrath. "'Good nose enough. Don't want a better. Good as another man's. Where's the harm on it?' "'How could this blackguard get in?' cried the Turk. "'I believe he's a mere common chimney-sweeper out of the streets, for he's all over dirt and filth. I never saw such a dress at a masquerade before in my life.' "'All the better,' returned the other. "'Would not change. What to think it cost?' cost why not a crown 
A crown? Ha, ha, ha! A pot of beer. Little Tom borrowed it. Had it of our own sweep. Said twas for himself. I bid him a pint. Rascal would not take less. Did your late uncle, said the white domino in a low voice to Cecilia, choose for two of your guardians, Mr. Harrell and Mr. Briggs, to give you an early lesson upon the opposite errors of profusion and meanness? My uncle, cried Cecilia, starting. Were you acquainted with my uncle? No, said he, for my happiness I knew him not. You would have owed no loss of happiness to an acquaintance with him, said Cecilia, very seriously, for he was one who dispensed to his friends nothing but good. Perhaps so, said the domino, but I fear I should have found the good he dispensed through his niece not quite unmixed with evil. What's here? cried the chimney-sweeper, stumbling over the fiend. What's this black thing? Don't like it. Looks like the devil. Shan't stay with it. Carry you away. Take care of you myself. He then offered Cecilia his hand, but the black gentleman, raising himself upon his knees before her, paid her in dumb show the humblest devoirs, yet prevented her from removing. Aha! cried the chimney-sweeper, significantly nodding his head. Smell a rat, a sweetheart in disguise. No bamboozling. It won't do. Ain't so soon put upon. If you've anything to say, tell me that's the way. Where's the cash? Got ever a rental? Or warm? That's the point. Or warm? The fiend, without returning any answer, continued his homage to Cecilia, at which the enraged chimney-sweeper exclaimed, Come, come with me. Won't be imposed upon an old fox. Understand trap. He then again held out his hand, but Cecilia, pointing to the fiend, answered, How can I come, sir? Show you the way, cried he. Shovel him off. And taking his shovel, he very roughly set about removing him. The fiend then began a yell so horrid that it disturbed the whole company, but the chimney-sweeper, only saying, Ay, ay, blacky, growl away, blacky, makes no odds, sturdily continued his work, and as the fiend had no chance of resisting so coarse an antagonist without a serious struggle, he was presently compelled to change his ground. Warm work! cried the victorious chimney-sweeper, taking off his wig, and wiping his head with the sleeves of his dress. Pure warm work, this! Cecilia, once again freed from her persecutor, instantly quitted her place, almost equally desirous to escape the haughty Turk, who was peculiarly her aversion, and the facetious chimney-sweeper, whose vicinity, either on account of his dress or his conversation, was by no means desirable. She was not, however, displeased that the white domino and the schoolmaster still continued to attend her. "'Pray look,' said the white domino, as they entered another apartment, "'at that figure of hope. Is there any in the room half so expressive of despondency?' "'The reason, however,' answered the schoolmaster, "'is obvious. That light and beautiful silver anchor upon which she reclines presents an occasion irresistible for an attitude of elegant dejection, and the assumed character is always given up where an opportunity offers to display any beauty or manifest any perfection in the dear proper person. But why, said Cecilia, should she assume the character of hope? Could she not have been equally dejected and equally elegant as Niobe or some tragedy queen? But she does not assume the character, answered the schoolmaster. She does not even think of it. The dress is her object, and that alone fills up all her ideas. Inquire of almost anybody in the room concerning the persons they seem to represent, and you will find their ignorance more gross than you can imagine. 
they have not once thought upon the subject. Accident or convenience or caprice has alone directed their choice. A tall and elegant youth now approached them, whose laurels and harp announced Apollo. The white domino immediately inquired of him if the noise and turbulence of the company had any chance of being stilled into silence and rapture by the divine music of the inspired god. "'No,' answered he, pointing to the room in which was erected the new gallery, and whence, as he spoke, issued the sound of an oboe. "'There's a flute playing there already.' "'Oh, for a Midas!' cried the white domino, "'to return to this leather-eared god the disgrace he has received from him.' They now proceeded to the apartment which had been lately fitted up for refreshments, and which was so full of company that they entered it with difficulty. And here they were again joined by Minerva, who, taking Cecilia's hand, said, "'Lord, how glad I am you've got away from that frightful black mask! I can't conceive who he is. Nobody can find out. It's monstrous odd, but he's not spoke a word all night, and he makes such a shocking noise when people touch him that I assure you it's enough to put one in a fright.' "'And pray,' cried the schoolmaster, disguising his voice, "'How camest thou to take the helmet of Minerva for a fool's cap?' "'Lord, I have not!' cried she, innocently. "'Why, the whole dress is Minerva's, don't you see?' "'My dear child,' answered he, "'thou couldst as well with that little figure pass for a Goliath "'as with that little wit for a palace.' Their attention was now drawn from the goddess of wisdom to a mad Edgar, who so vehemently ran about the room calling out, "'Poor Tom's a cold!' that in a short time he was obliged to take off his mask from an effect not very delicate of the heat. Soon after, a gentleman desiring some lemonade whose toga spoke the consular dignity, though his broken English betrayed a native of France, the schoolmaster followed him, and with reverence the most profound began to address him in Latin. But, turning quick towards him, he gaily said, "'Monsieur, j'ai l'honneur de représenter Ciceron, le grand Ciceron, père de sa patrie, Mais quoi que j'ai cet honneur-là, je ne suis pas pédant. Mon Dieu, monsieur, je ne parle que le français dans la bonne compagnie. And politely bowing, he went on. Just then, Cecilia, while looking about the room for Mrs. Harrel, found herself suddenly pinched by the cheek, and hastily turning around, perceived again her friend, the chimney-sweeper, who, laughing, cried, Only me, don't be frightened. Have something to tell you. Had no luck. Got never a husband yet. Can't find one. Looked all over, too sharp as a needle. Not one to be had, all catched up. "'I'm glad to hear it, sir,' said Cecilia, somewhat vexed by observing the white domino attentively listening. "'And I hope, therefore, you will give yourself no farther trouble.' "'Pretty duck,' cried he, chucking her under the chin. "'Never mind. Don't be cast down. Get one at last. Leave it to me. Nothing under a plum. Won't take up with less. Good-bye, ducky. Good-bye. Must go home now. Begin to be nodding.' and then, repeating his kind caresses, he walked away. "'Do you think, then,' said the white domino, "'more highly of Mr. Briggs for discernment and taste than of anybody?' "'I hope not,' answered she, "'for lo, indeed, should I then think of the rest of the world.' "'The commission with which he is charged,' returned the domino, "'has then misled me. I imagined discernment and taste might be necessary ingredients for making such a choice as your approbation would sanctify.' but perhaps his skill in guarding against any fraud or deduction in the stipulation he mentioned may be all that is requisite for the execution of his trust. "'I understand very well,' said Cecilia, a little hurt, "'the severity of your meaning, and if Mr. Briggs had any commission but of his own suggestion, it would fill me with shame and confusion. But as that is not the case, 
Those, at least, are sensations which it cannot give me. My meaning, cried the domino with some earnestness, should I express it seriously, would but prove to you the respect and admiration with which you have inspired me. And if indeed, as Mr. Briggs hinted, such a prize is to be purchased by riches, I know not, from what I have seen of its merit, any sum I should think adequate to its value. You are determined, I see, said Cecilia, smiling, to make most liberal amends for your asperity. A loud clack of tongues now interrupted their discourse, and the domino, at the desire of Cecilia, for whom he had procured a seat, went forward to inquire what was the matter. But scarce had he given up his place a moment, before to her great mortification, it was occupied by the fiend. Again, but with the same determined silence he had hitherto preserved, he made signs of obedience and homage, and her perplexity to conjecture who he could be, or what were his motives for this persecution, became the more urgent, as they seemed the less likely to be satisfied. But the fiend, who was no other than Mr. Monckton, had every instant less and less encouragement to make himself known. His plan had in nothing succeeded, and his provocation at its failure had caused him the bitterest disappointment. He had intended, in the character of a tormentor, not only to pursue and hover around her himself, but he had also hoped, in the same character, to have kept at a distance all other admirers. But the violence with which he had overacted his part, by raising her disgust and the indignation of the company, rendered his views wholly abortive, while the consciousness of an extravagance for which, if discovered, he could assign no reason not liable to excite suspicions of his secret motives, reduced him to guarding a painful and most irksome silence the whole evening. And Cecilia, to whose unsuspicious mind the idea of Mr. Monckton had never occurred, added continually to the cruelty of his situation, by an undisguised abhorrence of his assiduity, as well as by a manifest preference to the attendance of the white domino. All, therefore, that his disappointed scheme now left in his power, was to watch her motions, listen to her discourse, and inflict occasionally upon others some part of the chagrin with which he was tormented himself. While they were in this situation, Harlequin, in consequence of being ridiculed by the Turk for want of agility, offered to jump over the new dessert-table, and desired to have a little space cleared to give room for his motions. It was in vain the people who distributed the refreshments, and who were placed at the other side of the table, expostulated upon the danger of the experiment. Morris had a rage of enterprise untamable, and therefore, first taking a run, he attempted the leap. The consequence was such as might naturally be expected. He could not accomplish his purpose, but, finding himself falling, imprudently caught hold of the lately erected awning, and pulled it entirely upon his own head, and with it the new contrived lights which, in various forms, were fixed to it, and which all came down together. The mischief and confusion occasioned by this exploit were very alarming, and almost dangerous. Those who were near the table suffered most by the crush, but splinters of the glass flew yet further, and as the room, which was small, had only been lighted up by lamps hanging from the awning, it was now in total darkness, except close to the door which was still illuminated from the adjoining apartments. The clamour of Harlequin, who was covered with glass, papier-mâché, lamps, and oil, the screams of the ladies, the universal buzz of tongues, and the struggle between the frighted crowd, which was enclosed to get out, and the curious crowd, from the other apartments, to get in, occasioned a disturbance and tumult, equally noisy and confused. But the most serious sufferer was the unfortunate fiend, who, being nearer the table than Cecilia, was so pressed upon by the numbers which poured from it, that he found a separation unavoidable, and was unable, from the darkness and the throng, 
to discover whether she was still in the same place or had made her escape into another. She had, however, encountered the white domino, and under his protection was safely conveyed to a further part of the room. Her intention and desire were to quit it immediately, but at the remonstrance of her conductor she consented to remain some time longer. "'The conflict at the door,' said he, "'will quite overpower you. Stay here but a few minutes, and both parties will have struggled themselves tired, and you may then go without difficulty. Meantime, can you not by this faint light suppose me one of your guardians, Mr. Briggs, for example, or, if he is too old for me, Mr. Harrel, and entrust yourself to my care?' "'You seem wonderfully well acquainted with my guardians,' said Cecilia. "'I cannot imagine how you have had your intelligence.' "'Nor can I,' answered the domino. "'Imagine how Mr. Briggs became so particularly your favourite as to be entrusted with powers to dispose of you.' "'You are mistaken, indeed. He is entrusted with no powers but such as his own fancy has suggested.' "'But how has Mr. Delville offended you, that with him only you seem to have no commerce or communication?' "'Mr. Delville?' repeated Cecilia, still more surprised. "'Are you also acquainted with Mr. Delville?' "'He is certainly a man of fashion,' continued the domino, "'and he is also a man of honour. Surely, then, he would be more pleasant for confidence and consultation than one whose only notion of happiness is money, whose only idea of excellence is avarice, and whose only conception of sense is distrust.' Here a violent outcry again interrupted their conversation, but not till Cecilia had satisfied her doubts concerning the white domino, by conjecturing he was Mr. Belfield, who might easily, at the house of Mr. Monckton, have gathered the little circumstances of her situation to which he alluded, and whose size and figure exactly resembled those of her new acquaintance. The author of the former disturbance was now the occasion of the present. The fiend, having vainly traversed the room in search of Cecilia, stumbled accidentally upon Harlequin before he was freed from the relics of his own mischief, and unable to resist the temptation of opportunity and the impulse of revenge, he gave vent to the wrath so often excited by the blunders, forwardness, and tricks of Morris, and inflicted upon him with his own wooden sword, which he seized for that purpose, a chastisement the most serious and severe. Poor Harlequin, unable to imagine any reason for this violent attack, and already cut with the glass and bruised with the fall, spared not his lungs in making known his disapprobation of such treatment. But the fiend, regardless either of his complaints or his resistance, forbore not to belabor him till compelled by the entrance of people with lights. And then, after artfully playing sundry antics under pretense of still supporting his character, with a motion too sudden for prevention, and too rapid for pursuit, he escaped out of the room, and hurrying downstairs threw himself into a hackney chair, which conveyed him to a place where he privately changed his dress, before he returned home, bitterly repenting the experiment he had made and conscious too late that, had he appeared in a character he might have avowed, he could, without impropriety, have attended Cecilia the whole evening. But such is deservedly the frequent fate of cunning, which, while it plots surprise and detection of others, commonly overshoots its mark, and ends in its own disgrace. The introduction of the lights now making manifest the confusion which the frolic of Harlequin had occasioned, he was seized with such a dread of the resentment of Mr. Harrel, that, Forgetting blows, bruises, and wounds, not one of which were so frightful to him as reproof, he made the last exhibition of his agility by an abrupt and hasty retreat. He had, however, no reason for apprehension, since, in everything that regarded expense, Mr. Harrel had no feeling, and his lady had no thought. The rooms now began to empty very fast, but among the few masks yet remaining, 
Cecilia again perceived Don Quixote, and while in conjunction with the white domino she was allowing him the praise of having supported his character with more uniform propriety than any other person in the assembly, she observed him taking off his mask for the convenience of drinking some lemonade, and looking in his face, found he was no other than Mr. Belfield. Much astonished and more than ever perplexed, she again turned to the white domino, who, seeing in her countenance a surprise of which he knew not the reason, said, half laughing, "'You think perhaps I shall never be gone? And indeed I am almost of the same opinion. But what can I do? Instead of growing weary by the length of my stay, my reluctance to shorten it increases with its duration. And all the methods I take, whether by speaking to you or looking at you, with a view to be satiated, only double my eagerness for looking and listening again. I must go, however, and if I am happy, I may perhaps meet with you again, though if I am wise I shall never seek you more. And then with the last stragglers that reluctantly disappeared, he made his exit, leaving Cecilia greatly pleased with his conversation and his manners, but extremely perplexed to account for his knowledge of her affairs and situation. The schoolmaster had already been gone some time. She was now earnestly pressed by the Harrels and Sir Robert, who still remained, to send to a warehouse for a dress and accompany them to the Pantheon. But though she was not without some inclination to comply, in the hope of further prolonging the entertainment of an evening from which she had received much pleasure, she disliked the attendance of the baronet, and felt averse to grant any request that he could make, and therefore she begged they would excuse her, and having waited to see their dresses, which were very superb, she retired to her own apartment. A great variety of conjecture upon all that had passed, now until the moment that she sunk to rest, occupied her mind. The extraordinary persecution of the fiend excited at once her curiosity and amazement, while the knowledge of her affairs shown by the white domino surprised her not less, and interested her more. End of chapter 3